It's time for use of all security. Welcome back. Security teams face an ongoing challenge. How best to collect event data from all their tools and infrastructure, whether that is network, endpoint, and anything in between. The critical part being how to turn this mass of data into threat intelligence to prevent or stop the next cyber attacks. This is the topic of this week's episode. In addition, I will mention few security news and draw some useful conclusions out of them. I don't normally use news just to inform you, but it serves from a standpoint of drawing conclusions and to avoid the next hiccup, the next mistake, and draw conclusions from real-world scenario. That's the usefulness. So this topic of this week will be temper protection will be on by default for all Microsoft defenders for end users. Hackers lurked in Albanian government network for more than a year. All that coming up next on Yusuf on Security. This is Yusuf on Security episode 86 recorded Saturday 24th of September 2022. SIM versus XDR. Who is the winner? So Microsoft has decided to now turn on Tumba protection um, for the vendor for end users by default. The story behind this is not necessarily what Microsoft is doing, but more on the technology that is available for all endpoints, whether that is an EPP endpoint protection, legacy stuff, or antivirus, even more so, or maybe an EDR. They all come equipped with a technology that allows um, timber-proofing themselves to lock the policy and the change from the end-user side of the technology. And the the fact that the Microsoft has decided to turn this on for good now is is a good move. And to be quite honest, it should be the same for all the other technology. So what is temper protection, I heard you say? Well, temper protection is when you have a technology and that technology necessarily is not always facing the end users, but in this case is the technology facing the users that we are using as an example. And it's an endpoint. Um, whether you want to call the endpoint as an EDR, more advanced, whether it is a sort of sort of a very old antivirus signature based or in between the EPP, which is the suit of endpoint technology that preceded the EDR technology. You don't want those technology when they are configured with a baseline that has been worked on for quite a number of you know weeks maybe um, by your teams. You don't want the user to interfere with those technology because you know what? It's going to let the attackers in. So temper protection is part of the policy setting um, depending on the way the vendor of the technology implemented, is part of the policy setting of the endpoint um, and is a technology that is pushed from the central management aspect. It has the capability of it being disabled at the user level should there be something aloof, something that is not correct, something that the management console is not able to really control remotely, or maybe the endpoint has somehow broken down and the endpoint is no longer communicating with the mothership then what do you do um you have a technology that allows you to you know get in behind the behind the behind the scene with a a code um an authentication code that is generated normally from the management console so the temper protection is something that lives centrally but also on all machines
machines and it's centrally configurable and controllable. It can be disabled. It can be um, enabled for certain users, for all users. Um, it can be made a centralized uh, mechanism um, to really prevent the users disabling the antivirus. Um, because the minute that you tell there is an antivirus that is being updated, installed, renewed, upgrade to the users, you can guess what they're going to blame. They're going to play in the antivirus. They're going to play in the EDR. And therefore, the next thing is, once they had enough of planning, blaming and they don't see anyone doing anything about it, and all of this might be perception, guess what they're going to do? They're going to find a way to disable it, right? So, you know, the, the, the punch of people who are more technical will find a way to actually mess around with the services, um, try to open the GUI, try to type some sort of a guessable password, and therefore... That's what the temper protection is disallowing because, you know, you remove the layer of security from the machine. If you can disable the, um, the temper protection on the machine, then anyone else can. And by anyone else, I mean the attackers, a piece of code, uh, malware, that kind of stuff. And that is really the, the go-to. Um, as soon as the machine is detected to have a reputable, strong EDR, uh, that's what they're going to do. They try to then peel off the temper protection off the machine. If the temper protection is not enabled, then they rub their hand and that is one job done for, for them on their behalf, unfortunately for you. And, and therefore, temper protection should be set really strongly, centrally, um, and you should have a set policy to even, I would say, get rid of the GUI of the EDR technology, depending on the nature of your organization and depending on the maturity of your organization, this advice doesn't really just scale down an app um, to all organization. Don't take me wrong. Um, if you have that maturity to get rid of the GUI that you don't want to show them because it's an immature environment, it's an environment that actually not really up to the bar yet um, and maybe you are educating your users and you know there will be a case where you will then display the GUI, the UI, you user interface of the of the endpoint on the machine then by all means wait for that and then do there and then but by having the temper protection enabled you're really protecting the machine and causing um, um you know avoiding a headache at the latest stage caused by this the user disabling and therefore then allowing malware to run disabling or maybe even removing it because temper protection also um, prevents the application to be stripped off the machine so that's another thing and the malware can also do that and that's what they normally do although they don't really do a removal as such they just disable it and make it as much little noise as possible but the users are the one that normally would would actually attempt to remove it because they had enough of it because their machine quote unquote is slowed down by this application and therefore having it by default by the vendor um, is really just sending a signal to the organization that this technology is good I have to say I've been in the endpoint industry for quite a long time um, and I have seen where these temper protections came from and how far it travelled. Certainly even the um, endpoint company resisted some of them to put that feature on their product um, because it was not mature enough code-wise and it used to do more damage for their troubleshooting, for their technical support, when they are doing for the customer getting their knickers in a cross um, and, and therefore really locking the machines down and having their application to really have a bad reputation because now they cannot update they cannot repair they cannot remove they got stuck somewhere in between and therefore 
even the vendors, um, I would say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, really resisted this technology to be enabled as a feature into the endpoint. So because we came a long way now and the technology and coding has really improved, um, this is actually a lifesaver to really make sure that you you know, you, you, you really tighten the lid when you put that policy and the product um, of, of EDR or endpoint um, in place on the, on the machine and avoiding any sort of tempering is actually good. In fact, Microsoft has been doing this for some time now for the new technology like any other vendor. Um, and what they're actually doing is I think they're just really just pushing to everyone now and bringing everyone on board and on, uh, on bar to, uh, to, to this settings. So if you haven't really looked into that, make sure that this temper protection is enabled and is controlled. If you're really just testing and sitting on the fence, you don't have to go full-blown on all of it in one go. You can enable it on a test environment. You can actually approach maybe your security team only um, and see how they react. But by all means, uh, this is actually really out of date now by not having this enabled. And then test it with the IT team and then the security team and then actually then pilot to a number of users if you haven't done so. The other thing is, Microsoft is not pushing this. If you have actually disabled by default, it's not going to overwrite that. Um, so therefore, bear that in mind. And if you have disabled, you really should revisit that, revisit that and actually enable it because disabling, you're really lowering um, the protection of the, of the product. And if you actually have a cyber insurance, this is part of the compliance. If you do find to have disabled this feature, you might actually void your cyber insurance as well. So bear that in mind, um, let alone the other auditors and, 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 and cyber compliance that demands these technologies to have a temper protection enabled by default and all the um, infrastructure that they are running on. So it's worth really revisiting, having a look. If you haven't started, start it slow, but do not delay. Hackers lurked in Albanian government network for more than a year. This story came out um, a few days ago and it caught the attention of the CISA organization, that's the US Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, as well as the FBI, um, who've published a awareness against these attackers. Um, and of course, Albanian government is the one that has been mentioned, but really the story goes broader. And this is why I thought it will be a good conclusion to draw, um, not to really fall victim of um, dwellers, as I call it, of attackers who will penetrate the organization with minimal um, funfare, with minimal alert, and then stay there dormant for months um, and years sometimes. So this provides a detail about the length of time that a attacker can initially um, access an organization before they actually take action. Um, and actions can be in the past, it can be encryption, it can be wiper attacks um, that are launched um, years, if not sometimes months or weeks um, after the initial um, entry. And really what I'm talking about is what we call the, the dwell time. How long the attacker uh, remained in the organization before they've been kicked out. Um, and 
of course, this dwell time prevention um, really calls on a lot of tools to be in place. First, of course, prevention is better than cure. Um, so if you can prevent um, um, a entry at the first instance, that's very good. But the reality is, um, it's not really if, it's when an organization is going to be um, infiltrated. And therefore, don't be complacent. Um, in this case, it's been more than a year. Um, but in the past, there were more than that. Um, so um, this dwell time goes far beyond that segmentation and multifactor authentication. It really calls on um, a broad approach to the whole of the organization. Um, certainly segmentation, multi-factor authentication is one of it, but of course it also um, draws the attention of your um, SOC analyst, not to just really deal and fight with alert, and I'm certainly aware that um, the deluge of alert, um, the insurmountable amount of patching that the security teams have to do, the amount of mitigation and exploit that is at hand that the teams ITS slash security um, are um, essentially fighting every single day um, but also the SOC analyst um, or the SOC team is tasked to actually A, minimize and mitigate all major risk um, first of course exploitation uh, patching getting rid of anything that might be shadow IT assets that actually are more damaged than good all of that taken into account you should also leave no stones unturned and by doing that I mean you should do a threat hunting um, to go one step further so that you can really test the tools that you are using to make sure that there are no dwellers there are no um, cyber crooks who are dormant um, and if they're not even doing anything maybe they brought tools uh, that they might be mounting um, um, attacks with um, to their next door neighbour um, other organization within your vertical or maybe within your geographical um, location. So by doing a, um, basically turning the knobs and kicking the pushes, as I always call it, you're doing a threat hunting to go beyond the complacency of saying, I bought XYZ product and it's the leading product because it appeared in this um, report or analyst or it's the module quadrant leader product. That is not going to help. Um, what is going to help is, is that really security um, approach by applying solutions rather than a and making sure all the hygienes of segmentation, 2FAs, um, least privilege um, allocation of those privileges to the intended users, but also... Um, it is very, very damaging to assume that there are nothing in your environment um, because as soon as you really take that high position, you're really undermining yourself. The other big thing is the, is the zero trust um, because zero trust really just is the icing on the cake to make sure that once you put all your tools in a good order, then you basically apply that layer of security, that framework of zero trust to make sure that there is no damage and don't fall victim of being complacent and therefore always validate um, anything that is being requested, um, any entry that is being made by legitimate users or any services or privilege that has been granted to the designated um, teams and therefore with zero trust you're minimizing um, the aspect of you know a mishap that might come out as a surprise. So it might be the Albanian 
government network um, today as an example, but it could be you. So therefore, take advantage of these approaches and the new framework and technology that are in place today. And as I always say, start with the basics, do the basic hygiene, and then the rest will follow. Um, but unless you really cover the basics, then you cannot really jump to a high horse and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm protected because I have these tools and, you know, they have these brands and, and a number of stars, etc. That's not going to help. So do the basics and stay up to date. So SIM versus XDR, who is the winner? Well, let's cover the basics first. Gartner's definition of SIM, XDR, and also SOAR, which we will not cover, um, but somehow we will touch, are fairly similar. SIM, quote, supports threat detection, compliance, security incident management through the collection and analysis of security event, as well as a wide variety of, of other events and contextual data sources, end quote. And for SOAR, he said, it enables organization to collect inputs monitored by the security operation team and XCR, it said, it's a unified security incident detection and response platform that automatically collects and correlates data from multiple proprietary security components. So as you can hear, determining the difference between these options and deciding out which could best suit your organization is, I would say, at the very least, a challenge for your security team. And that's what I thought it would be just easier just to listen and contrast and then draw a conclusion. So let's take them in turn. SIEM first, which stands for Security Information Event Management. A security event in IT parlance is any occurrence, anything that happens in a IT environment, tool set that is, that has the possibility of becoming a vulnerability or an indication, let's say, um, that the environment has already been impacted, exploited, and maybe the bad guys are within the environment. And those events include, for example, you know, unauthorized access, lateral movement, configuration changes, data hoarding, exfiltration, abnormal use activity, you know, the vocabulary that you're familiar with by now related to security incident. And SIM helps interpret these events to determine what threats they pose, um, the most risk, um, and how you would approach this in a prioritized manner. And the security team and the IT team put these events together and prioritize and maybe sometimes link this to other tool sets as well. And that's normally when the SOAR um, technology comes in so that it has a sort of a orchestration response because that's what the I stands for, the response. So that's SIM um, in a sort of a nutshell. Let's have a look at XDR as well, um, because to be quite honest, the definition um, that Gartner provided um, of those two, um, SIM and XDR, somewhat um, leave you with a bit of, um, if you're not really uh, already deep within the cybersecurity field, somewhat um, not quite um, sitting. So let's, let's have a look at the XDR. XDR, or Extended Detection and Response, um, it 
provides a platform that normally would instantly show you what matters most um, in predominantly in one view um, so that you don't really have to deal with a lot of different sub menu or sub tabs or sub windows so in one view um, it's a way um, to attain a cross layer detection and response. It has a response capability, which somewhat obviously overlaps with the SOAR capabilities as well. And it collects um, and automatically correlates data across multiple security layers, and is important. And that can be email, endpoint servers, it could be cloud, network, on-prem, etc., hybrid environment, and so on and so forth. And these technology behind these um, layered security are natively or near-natively integrated. And if you hear me talk about solution approach to security, this is what I'm referring to, natively or near-native integration through ABIs. And the days of silo really are gone. Um, When SIEM really was heralded back in 2005, is really to deal with the problem of silo, all the way back to 2005. So let's go back um, to compare and contrast um, between the two XDR and SIM to SIM now. The initial, I would say, um, push of the SIM really was um, back in 2005. Um, And you know, the force behind it on those generations of, of SIM was the need for somehow reporting compliance. You know, this your stature um, in terms of compliance. Where do you stand? What is your um, mitigation level? Um, what kind of tool set um, can you actually put together to meet a certain criteria? Um, and that was basically a an issue with log, um, aggregation of log data um, that was taken by different application endpoint and network devices um, and, and that was really what drove um, the need for a sim and and they provided a, a sort of a limited incident response and visualization at that time um, because of their you know general approach to mostly aggregate data and generated um, generate some sort of a visualization they have their own, um, of course, drawback um, because they relied on the silo approach, so to speak, and the tools that were not ready with um, what we're now familiar with, integrated approach. And this made it hard to detect, um, for example, really advanced, um, maybe targeted um, nation-state style attack. Um, and the analysis was very difficult, to say the least, at the time, um, because there's a lot of manual involvement um, um, in it. Um, there was an excessive amount of alert um, because the first approach was really siphon off as much um, alert as possible. Um, and then, of course, there were um, improvement on the technology um, to support uh, what we used to call now, um, you know, the big data, um, which obviously gave you know, gave way to data lakes nowadays, um, and also real-time event analysis. Um, that's what it actually uh, provided. Um, and, you know, 
fast forward a number of years later, um, they take on with uh, machine learning and behavior analytics, um, also made into the seams as plugins, um, so that A, you can baseline things, you can actually have a look at the behavior, um, and to, uh, as an end result, to give you a easier way to uh, identify what is normal versus what is abnormal, anomalies, and therefore really just... Um, um, reduce the number of alerts that was excessive um, at the time. And if we just, um, you know, add saw um, to the mix, um, as we talk about SIM, um, because the two helped themselves, and SIM came about as well, um, around 2015, saw was to improve really what the um, SIM platform were lacking. Um, and one of them may be um, enrich event data. Um, and also automated response, which SIEM was lacking. Um, and really just to improve things, uh, but most importantly, speed up um, remediation, because now there is an um, automated response capability that is built in into the SIEM through the SAW as a sort of a plugin um, to really um, lessen the amount of time the, the, the SOC analyst, the human being, um, intervene and in basically take action. So the tool set um, was actually really to, to improve that. Um, but still, um, the teams were able to um, have to busy themselves with other um, tool sets, um, you know, set up playbooks, um, create custom alerts, um, really measure things up to make sure not, no, nothing is actually falling through the cracks um, of the scene, but also helped by the saw features that actually brought those new terms terms and technology. And now the extended detection and response into the mix. Um, XDR, um, of course, is the um, is that solution that allows you to have that one view, but also rely and tap on integrated approach to security um, through API integration natively or near native integration. Now, without XDR, um, the SIEM faces manually linking the flow of incidents um, arriving from different parts of the business. Um, and most importantly, what you need to understand is the approach to SIEM in these all old days, but also even today, is you're dealing with products that are made by different vendors, um, somehow can be integrated, but it's really sort of a quote-unquote integration. They might um, not be that simple, um, let alone drift between integration and then the actual break um, that normally ensues. For example, when a vendor moves on and acquire a competition that impacts the relationship they had with the other solution provider, and and, the, and the, the, the revolving door goes on and on and on. Now, XDR processes uh, the different streams through a tight integration um, and, and of, of incidents um, intelligently. Um, and and that's, that's really a word to underscore intelligently. Um, and it correlates them into a, something to be understood clearly, coherent picture, if I want to call it that way. And these are solutions to deploy as well um, with machine learning to join the dots, um, to really clean, sophisticated insight um, between the different products. And these are not silo products um, normally. These are products that are, as I said, um, tightly integrated natively, 
even better, or near-native integration. And it links, um, links are formed, I should say, from incident occurring at different times and locations and detected by different tool sets across the infrastructure to create that strategic picture um, of an attack that was stopped um, or an attack that is in the making that can be stopped um, by the tools that are dedicated for that. Now, by now, you will be saying, well, hang on, um, you know, will the SIM then be given way to XDR? Um, not really. Um, you know, XDR was the latest attempt by the security vendors to improve threat detection and response times, right? So, and, and obviously, it really took hold um, by gaining popularity um, back in 2018. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's that component that centralizes, as I said, and normalizes data from all connected products, um, those products that are um, hooked through um, APIs, through REST APIs. Um, it really integrates the whole of your portfolio, if not all of it, um, essentially, really. So whether the, an organization choose to deploy a disparate set of product or something that is natively integratable, they need log management. So it doesn't really abandon um, the fact of you needing to manage the, the logs, really. So though the development of, um, you know, separate, you know, different strategy based on, you know, maybe the endpoint data and optimization, um, XDR has emerged... I will say, to fill the space created and things that they seem was lacking, right? So it's not a direct replacement, um, it's an improvement. So, you know, imagine if you if you really are um, coming, um, if I take as an analogy, we don't really uh, mean a replacement of what is already existing, but it's an improvement um, of, of something that has actually existed that can actually be a subcomponent that can be used in parallel. So XDR um, advanced analysis capability um, enables um, your organization for example to really speed up that response to events um, based on priority um, and because those those technology that XDR is relying on is you know as I said near native or natively integrated um, you know the prioritization but also the response action doesn't rely on something that is adjacent but a little bit too far from it it's really close to it but seem you know is based basically a log um, collection tool needed to support compliance, data storage, and analysis. That's really when it came. And, and it's important to obviously um, underscore when the technology came about, because if the technology was invented many, many years ago, um, and if the technology is, is invented in the 2010, 22, for example, the, the technology that was invented in 2022 takes advantage of everything that is available at its disposal. So that's really why XDR um, can somehow really overlap the SIM, but the SIM has gone so far and too far into the log management, and therefore it doesn't really just be going to be abandoned just like that, because XDR has more inclination towards um, cybersecurity, whereas SIM really deals 
business with a lot of retention, compliance, data aggregation, etc., and not necessarily just to be um, security. Of course, there has been an effort to really um, compete somehow with XDR um, platforms um, and try to retrofit technology that the XDR was born within. Um, so you can see the struggle of the SIM trying to um, become a, uh, an XDR, um, but also the same can be said for um, about the XDR, try to become go back to the log management. So the two technologies are still somewhat distinctly used for different domains, um, but there are some overlap, um, to say the least. So SIM is basically that log collect collection. Um, it doesn't really um, extensively identify thread without performing um, a separate security analytics function on top of the huge amount of data it has. Um, maybe perhaps you have blaggings and maybe you will say, well, actually, I do have um, some you know, security analytics. And that might be true, but do understand that's a plugin rather than it being a default product made for that purpose. So the answer um, to, you know, who is the winner between SIM versus XDR or whether SIM will replace XDR? The answer is no to the question of XDR replacing SIM. SIM is used outside of threat detection mainly and it has actually come about for, with that view um, and it makes it, um, you know, itself irreplaceable by the XDR. It's used for log management, as I said, compliance, non-threat um, data analysis, but with the additional bells and whistles and plugins. Today, you can actually have that. And if you really look at the big um, sims today, all of them should have a plugin to really pull you know, those data that they you know, amass into the XDR platform. And the reverse is true. The XDR platform with the intelligence um, approach, um, um, inclination of what it sees can help contribute to the seam at large as well. So both can be said um, um, for, for both products. An organization will still require seam to fulfill other needs, you know, beyond the um, beyond the log management. Now, I said something um, um, earlier, um, which is to do with response. Um, don't confuse these technology that I'm actually describing the XDR, the the SIM primarily, but also the SAW that I've mentioned with MDR that you might actually hear in the industry. And MDR stands for Manage Detection and Response. What it is is a is is it, it tends to be a service contracted with a third party. Um, a managed security provider, for example, could provide you with a particular expertise that you might be developing, that your team lacks, or maybe you're not into that um, at all and your focus is really do your business and let the expert do what they are, you know, what they're good at. Um, and, and so that the other contracting um, party doesn't, doesn't, you know, doesn't actually help you with, so you contract with that party. And the security provider has the in-house skills and tools to manage the volumes of logs and alerts um, that normally are coming from various tools toolset that you might be using, um, bridges, routers, um, switches, email servers, you name it, and can also be mount, um, an amount of data that you cannot really handle. Um, and therefore, um, they will use those tools that you have and actually pull the data into a SOC platform that they actually built, made out of maybe XDR, uh, maybe a SAW, maybe um, 
um, behind it. It's a SIM so that they can actually then manage your response. So MDR is a service, um, whereas the, um, the other tool set that I've actually described um, will be seen as platforms, um, some of them even a, a product like, like, like the SIM. Um, so don't, don't get confused um, with that. So to summarize, as we came to the end of the episode, um, you know, it's not a replacement game here um, or a replacement um, um, race, but it's actually really building on, on tools that we have developed in the past that may actually be improved with additional um, tool set that are now become um, at our disposal that did not exist um, then. So everything is a sort of a accumulation of improvement to provide um, a capability to mitigate security risk and to provide better security posture for all organizations. So if you have one or have both, it's not a game of changing, but actually take advantage of what each one of them will be able to provide. And depending on the maker of, of, of the product, SIM or XDR that you have, you should seek um, you know, collaboration between the two platforms. But moving forward, who knows um, where the technology is going. There are certainly overlap between the two technology, but certainly they cannot be compared Apple to Apple. And with that, we came to the end of the show. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Take care.